Once again, good evening. Hope you had a wonderful day. Certainly is much nicer day today than the, some that we've been having lately. I, I wonder with all the busyness and uh, activity that goes on this time of year, how did you view coming to this service this evening? Um, I hope that you were excited with the thought of being here. Monday Thursday is, I think, probably, if not my favorite, it's certainly one of my favorite uh, services of the year. In the passages before us, we have a rather startling statement that Jesus makes. In Luke twenty-two fifteen, he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus was looking forward to this particular Passover. Not just that he was eager to observe Passover with them, but this specific Passover. Certainly Jesus had eaten other Passover meals with the disciples. In fact, he would have eaten two other Passover meals. And the Word of God mentions the two previous Passovers, each just one time, with no details, but we know that it was observed. But this Passover was different, and it is very unique, and it is recorded in a number of instances in the New Testament. So why is this Passover so significant? Why did Jesus look forward to eating that particular Passover with his disciples? He tells us in verse 16. For, this is the reason. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is unique about this Passover is that its ultimate fulfillment is about to take place. And Jesus is excited, even though that he is going to be the Passover lamb, he is excited that finally, all that was portrayed in the imagery of the Passover is going to be accomplished through Jesus' death. It is no coincidence that Jesus died in conjunction with the Passover. In the sovereign plan of God, this coordination of Passover and the Lord's death are carefully orchestrated. It was intentional. For Passover was intended to teach us, ultimately, about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is much to be learned concerning the significance and accomplishments of the Lord's death by reflecting on Passover. There are 26 New Testament references linking Jesus' death specifically to Passover. Two major themes. One, Jesus is referred to as the Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lamp, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, 
our Passover also has been sacrificed. And then Jesus' death is referred to as an exodus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you remember, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah meet with Jesus, and they are talking about his death. Must have been an incredible conversation. For it says, For who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But that word departure is actually the Greek word for exodus. It was talking about the exodus that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And so here is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration talking with Moses about the exodus and the exodus that he is going to accomplish in Jerusalem. The theme is that all that Passover symbolizes is fulfilled in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The events of the Passover and Exodus were to foreshadow the work of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the end of ages have come. We are to learn great lessons from God's deliverance of the children of Israel from bondage in the land of Egypt. All of that was intended to be a foreshadowing of the work that Jesus is going to do on the cross and for us. So tonight, I'm going to give you a ton of material, and uh, you're not going to be able to take it all in, I know that, and I'm going to have to just kind of hit things quickly and move on. But what I want to do is just give you a flavor of how the Passover foreshadows the work of Christ, how it depicts his accomplishments for us on the cross. Our narrative begins with preparations being made for the celebration of Passover. Notice Luke 22, 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. So that's the setting. Passover is getting close. So preparations are going to be underway for the observance of Passover. Now notice the preparations that are being made. First, preparations by the chief priests and scribes are being made. Look at verse 2. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how they might put him, that's Jesus, to death. Preparations by Satan are being made. Verse 3. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. Preparations by Judas was being made. Verse 4. And he, that is Judas, went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray them uh, to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. And he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the multitude. And then preparations by Jesus and the disciples. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
you see how that is wedged in there. How the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus is the Passover lamb. So it's telling us the preparations that are made in anticipation of Jesus' death. Then we have Jesus and the disciples in their preparation for observing Passover as we know it, verses 7 and following. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. So here is the orchestration of God, showing us that even in the very room where the Passover is going to be observed by the disciples, that that has already been prepared, and that Jesus is aware of it, he knows of it, and this man has readied it for the observance of Jesus and the disciples without, it appears, any former, uh, any uh, awareness of uh, what is about to take place. So the Passover is prepared in the irony of God. The Passover had many symbolic references. And that's what I'm going to focus on this evening. For it says that everything about the Passover is fulfilled, and that's what is thrilling the heart of Jesus. So what do we learn about the Passover? Well, first of all, Passover was a symbol of deliverance from judgment. The plagues were judgments upon Israel. Exodus 12, 12. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night referring to the night that the angel is going to pass over the houses, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So the first element of Passover was judgment. Judgment. And judgment in particular concerning death. That there were numerous plagues, And they were all leading up to the final plague that was going to come against the Egyptians. And these were plagues that proved the power and glory of God. And he overcame the gods of the Egyptians. He overcame Pharaoh. He overcame them all. And he said that tonight he was going to exact judgment upon them. And in particular, death. And so an angel was going to pass over the homes. And all those homes that did not, have, did not have the blood of the sacrificed lamb applied to it, the firstborn in that house was going to die. So in partaking of communion, we celebrate having been delivered from the judgment of death by the blood of the lamb slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we celebrate deliverance from judgment. Second, the Passover is a symbol of deliverance from bondage. The children of Israel were delivered from bondage in order to serve the Lord. In Exodus 8.1, the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. You remember the children of Israel were, were crying out unto God because of the bondage that they were under, because of the hard taskmasters that they were uh, having to endure. And God heard their cries and was going to send a deliverer to free them from the nation of Egypt and from their slavery. So Exodus 13.3 says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And so God heard their cries and delivered them from the harsh misery of bondage. But he set them free, not just to wander aimlessly, but to serve him. We have been delivered, the scripture says, from the bondage also of sin. In Hebrews 2.14 it says, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And then Hebrews goes on to say, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He delivered us from the bondage of Satan. That misery, that heartache, all the turmoil that comes into our life as a result of the evil one and our own sin. We're delivered from that bondage, but in order to serve God. The Passover was also the symbol of a new beginning. The children experienced a new beginning with God in the time of the Passover. Exodus 12.1 Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, They are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each each household. The calendar for the children of Israel was rearranged with Passover. This was to be literally a new beginning. And the Lord's Supper symbolizes a new beginning or a new covenant that has been established with God and ourselves. Notice Luke twenty-two twenty. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. This is a new beginning. Listen to the words of Hebrews. For finding fault with them, he says... Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel. Jesus says 
This is the new covenant. This is inaugurated. This is established in my blood. Notice these words. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out to the land of Egypt. God said, I made a covenant with them on the day that I led them out of the land of Egypt. He says, I will make a new covenant with you. Not like that covenant. How is it different? Or why is it needed? Hebrews 8.10, for this, uh, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers and then when I took them out of the land to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. They will not be held against them. No longer is there going to be an annual sacrifice, but Jesus is that one sacrifice, one time for all. The Passover was a symbol of a new fellowship with God and with others. The Passover was symbolic of a new fellowship with God. God was going to be intimate with them. He said in Hebrews 8, 8, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. God says, I grabbed them by the hand. I took them by the hand like a parent holds the hand of a child, and I led them out of Egypt. How did he do that? How did he take them by the hand and lead them out of the land of Egypt? Answer, it was the cloudy pillar by day. It was the fiery pillar by night. And he led them every step of the way to the promised land. Exodus 13, 21 and 22. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on a way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night, He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He led them. It is because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that now we are brought into a unique and precious and intimate fellowship with God. God says, I'm going to write my laws upon their heart which is a reference to, of course, the giving of the Ten Commandments where they were written on stone. 
But now they're going to be written on our hearts because we're going to be obedient and we're going to follow the Lord. And God is no longer going to lead us by a fiery pillar at night and a cloudy pillar by day, but instead, with even a greater degree of intimacy, he now leads us by the Holy Spirit, which is the product of that new covenant. John 16, 7, listen to the words of Jesus. But I say unto you, it is to your advantage that I go away, speaking of his death. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you, and you can make a very good translation, he will lead you into all the truth. So now, because of the work of the Passover lamb, the Holy Spirit, who led the children of Israel from their exodus to Egypt to the promised land, has now been given to us and indwells us and is leading us in this pilgrimage this journey into the very final resting place and presence of God. And he is guiding us or leading us, John 16, 13 says, into all the truth. He leads us in the truth. This then makes truth a very interesting Concept. I think we tend to uh, focus on truth as that which is uh, perceptual or uh, a principle, uh, something that we believe. We believe the truth. It's cognitive. The truth is that which corresponds to reality. It's what we believe. But in the Word of God, Truth isn't just what we believe, it certainly is what we believe, but it's also a way of life. It's how we live. We live according to the truth as according to the lie. We live according to reality as opposed to that which is false. We live as children of the kingdom, of children of light, children of truth as opposed to the children of darkness or the children of the devil, and the devil's the father of lies. We walk in truth. And so, 3 John says this, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. As we follow the Holy Spirit's leading us into a greater understanding of of the word of God, we are walking the right path. We are walking in the truth. We are headed in the right direction. And we are in a pilgrimage to the promised land. That pilgrimage concept is huge in the scriptures. 
So as the children of Israel to follow the cloudy pillar, we're to follow the Holy Spirit, our pilgrimage that leads us by God's word to take this journey of truth. Next, the Passover was to symbolize a new relationship with others. One of the unique aspects of the Passover meal was that it was never to be observed individualistically. It was never to be observed alone. Listen to the mandate of Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. So, at its bare minimum, it was to be observed by a whole household. And if the household wasn't big enough, that it could eat a whole lamb in one sitting and devour the whole thing so there was nothing left. Now think about that for a moment, people. You're sacrificing a lamb. You know, uh, uh, Thanksgiving feasts can be pretty large. There can be turkey and their ham. And, uh, you know, I have yet, now you have to know that my, my wife, she's, she loves to entertain and so on. And a lot of times we have 20 people uh, at our house for Thanksgiving. That's not unusual. I think we probably had close to 40 already. Uh, but, there hasn't been a Thanksgiving where there weren't leftovers. I like leftovers. I like turkey. Uh, I love turkey gravy. Oh, well. But, you know, there could be 20 people, there could be 40 people, but there were leftovers. There was to be no leftovers of this Passover lamb. So we're not talking about three people in a household. We're talking about a big house and If there's too much lamb for a whole house to eat, then you invite your neighbors over and you celebrate Passover with them. The Passover was to embrace foreigners who would eat in faith. People who were not of faith were not to eat of it. Exodus 12, 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Exodus 12, 45. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. So a foreigner wasn't allowed to eat it. A person who was traveling through, a sojourner, just happened to be there and Passover is being observed. He's not supposed to eat it. And your servant isn't supposed to eat it. With this caveat. But servants and foreigners who were circumcised and thus demonstrated their faith in Jehovah were allowed to eat it. Exodus 12, 44. But every man's slave purchased with money after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. 
But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among you. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. In the same manner that Passover was to be observed, and Jesus said, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Because that was the nature of Passover. It was a celebration that you engaged with those that were closest and dearest to you. Your family, your neighbors, and your friends. And you were to celebrate what God had done for you. Plural. God didn't lead just one person out of the land of Egypt. He led a company of people out of the land of Egypt. And God didn't just save me, and God didn't just save you. God saved us and led us out of our Egypt of sin with the intention that we would be one. And just as he was forming the children of Israel into a nation, he is forming us into a kingdom. to rule over us corporately. And so, in the word of God, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's no wonder that it teaches us that, number one, that communion is to be taken together and collectively. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and says that when you are eating one before the other and the one starves and and the other is going without, he says, you are not discerning the Lord's body. Meaning, you don't get it. You don't understand what it's all about. It's significant that we have gathered together tonight as a congregation to celebrate communion. The second great lesson is those that are people without faith are not to partake of the Passover meal. And those people who are without faith are not to partake of communion. And uh, every time we take communion, I I give the warning that the New Testament gives, uh, partaking unworthily, and that is partaking without faith. Because it's a proclamation of faith. And so it is the height of hypocrisy to be partaking of communion when one does not believe in the death and resurrection of the Lord. But, conversely, anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus as their Passover lamb is welcome to partake of communion just as anyone who was willing to identify 
with Jehovah and be circumcised in the Old Testament, then they were to be welcomed and were to partake of uh, Passover. And it specifically says that they shall be treated, referring to the slave, referring to the foreigner, and referring to the stranger, and they shall be treated as one who was born in the land. Meaning, one of you. One of you. They are to be like your family and friends. They're to be sitting down at this Passover meal and welcomed. Because what they have in common is their faith in God. Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Jesus said, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. We know, John 1.12, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That isn't just to be highfalutin, religious kind of talk. But the idea there is that if a person knows Jesus Christ is their Savior, they should be viewed as one of our family. No longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but like one who's been born in our household. We are to have the same kind of friendship and intimacy that we have with our, literally, brothers and sisters. We should view each other as Christians in that way. It represents a bond that we have with each other through a bond that we have with God. Passover. Passover was to be celebrated as an act of faith. And we are to celebrate communion as an act of faith. The first Passover was to be observed by taking the blood of the sacrificed lamb and placing it on the doorposts, the sides of the doorway, and on the lintel, the the top of the doorway. And we read in Exodus 12, 12, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That would be their means of deliverance. They were to place their faith in the blood of the sacrificed lamb, believing that if they they applied that blood to their household, they'd be delivered. Tonight, we partake of communion as an act of faith. It is a 
visual representation of applying the blood of Christ to ourselves. Actually feeding upon the body and blood of Christ, not in a literal sense, of course, but in a metaphorical sense, demonstrating that that's where our life and health and strengths come from. So we're ready to partake of communion. And I just want to quickly rehearse and reflect what the death of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us. Deliverance from judgment. Deliverance from bondage. A new covenant established between ourselves and God in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A life led by the Holy Spirit. A new fellowship with God and his people. At this time, we are ready to partake of communion. And so, men, if you would come forward.